Hello, I'm Zev Neuwirth and welcome to Creating a New Healthcare, a podcast series for healthcare leaders who are interested in fresh perspectives, new ideas and bold solutions on how to advance the creation of a customer-oriented, value-based and humanistic system of health. The views I express on this podcast are solely my own and do not represent the views of any other person or organization. Folks, our guest today, Roy Schoenberg, is without question one of the most significant leaders and most accomplished entrepreneurs in the domain of telehealth and virtual health care. Now, before I formally introduce Dr. Schoenberg, I'm going to make a request of you. If you listen to this podcast and you find value in it, I'd like you to share it with your colleagues. A number of you have already begun sharing the podcast on Twitter, LinkedIn, and to those of you who have already begun, as well as to those of you who are going to, I greatly appreciate you taking a moment to spread the podcast and more importantly, to spread the word on creating a new healthcare. Now, Dr. Roy Schoenberg is president and CEO of Amwell. Since co-founding the company with his brother, Ido, I believe back in 2006, Amwell has grown to become one of the largest telehealth ecosystems in the world. In 2013, Roy was appointed to the Federation of State Medical Boards Task Force that issued the landmark guidelines for the appropriate use of telemedicine in the practice of medicine. He has been named by Modern Healthcare in their 100 Most Influential People in Healthcare in 2020, and Roy has won numerous awards in the field of telemedicine. An inventor at heart, Roy holds over 50, that's five zero issued US patents in the area of healthcare technology. He speaks frequently in industry and policy forums, and he serves on the healthcare advisory board of the MIT Sloan School of Business. He holds an MD from Hebrew University in Israel and an MPH from the Harvard School of Public Health. On a more personal note, he is a sailor, a scuba diver, and he informs us that between September and February, a devoted football fan. Roy, how are you? And especially with that last note, it is Monday morning. There has never been a more opportune time to be a Monday morning quarterback than today, the morning after the Super Bowl. Any thoughts that you want to share with the audience before we jump into the topic at hand? First of all, thank you for the introduction. I'm blushing here. Thank God there's no video here. But uh uh, you know, Joe Borough, don't take a sack just before you can do a, you know, kick a field goal and, and, and get into overtime. But it, it was an amazing playoff, amazing playoff, not just the Super Bowl itself, but all the previous games really record setting in terms of sitting at the edge of the sofa. So, yep, now we have to wait until next year. There you go. There you go. Well, I'll say, Roy, this is the first I have never asked a sports question. I am not a sports commentator. It's way out of my zone of comfort. So I appreciate though your opinion. I will say I did enjoy the halftime show. That was amazing. So before we jump into the work at Amwell, I'm sure everyone who's listening is aware of Amwell, but I'd love for you just to take a minute and if you could give us a description of the organization. What astounded me in the research leading up to this interview, I went to the Amwell website and I was just astounded at the variety of products and services you offer to physicians, patients, payers, healthcare systems. It was broader than I had actually realized. And so I wonder if you could give us a sense of the scope and size of your organization. Sure, you know, this is, uh, I'll give you the short version. I'm happy to double click wherever you wanna you wanna go. But, um, you know, we, we're ancient in technology. It's been 15 years of Amwell, which really is forever. When you think about where telehealth and telemedicine has gone. We, we started off the journey, 
uh, all these years ago by essentially allowing patients who were challenged from getting to see clinicians to do this over technology. And just to give you a sense of how ancient that was, we introduced our first telehealth product um, roughly the same month that Apple introduced the iPhone. So truly ancient. Um, fast forward, you know, from now, from then to now, the understanding that this little connection trick that allows us to, to get a clinician and a patient together um, has expanded in the minds of the industry to cover what I would probably best describe as redistribution of healthcare over technology. Um, which if you think about it in this way, I know it's a mouthful, but if you think about it this way, it's actually very similar to the changes that, for example, industries like retail have experienced the moment that online retail showed up. It changed everything. Um, and that is why I think from that kind of very, very straightforward one function gadget of you know circa 2007 uh, to today, realistically, whenever clinicians and other clinicians or clinicians and patients need to interact and technology is a sufficiently, you know, reasonable way for them to do so, that is where telehealth surfaces. And that is the reason why you see such an enormous diversity. It's not because we're printing products left and right. It's because the industry has become incredibly thirsty for reinventing itself through technology. What do you think is the fundamental reason that there is this just incredible thirst for virtual and telehealth? What are the, some of the fundamental problems in healthcare, some of the things that are missing that are, that are really driving this need for this virtual technology? Oh, where do I start? I mean, it really depends on which, you know, which vantage point you're taking. There's the, the consumer, there's the provider, and of course, uh, you know, anybody who's taking financial risk for healthcare, which spans from employers to payers to government and so on. I think that the general notion that, you know, we have all crossed the line where historically we thought that interacting with, and I'll use the consumer kind of vantage point, that talking to our doctor without being in their office, we have always thought that this was somewhat inferior to actually being there in their office. Mm -hmm. And for a variety of different reasons, including obviously, you know, the COVID reality, we don't think that way anymore. Neither clinicians, you know, and, and payers and government and, and of course patients believe that that has to be inferior. And the moment that you can equate and in some cases even improve on the efficiency and intimacy of the interaction because it is taking it is taking place over technology it really moves the puck from mwell or vendor responsibility to convince people that this technology is of value to really the imagination of the many and i include in that you know physicians who are every day now inventing other ways in which they can utilize telehealth to to better manage their patients and by better manage it's in some cases it's efficiency when they can check up on them for a couple of minutes in a very easy way uh, rather than having the patient to schlep into the office which sometimes patient it's hard for them they're mm -hmm. elderly bedridden far away whatever it is and also very importantly patients experience of having the availability of those you know reassuring words of their clinician from their own, you know, from their own environment has changed their willingness 
to be compliant with the care that they need. So I know that I kind of bundled together a lot of different elements, but it is, you know, it really is rare that you have the alignment of stars in this way where the industry sees incredible efficiencies of doing its work over technology and the people that we all serve at the end of the day, the patients, actually feel this to be very, very intimate and much more in line with how they want to get care. Um, that is, you know, the, the, in, a, in a nutshell, mm -hmm. that is exactly what's driving all of this. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting that you, and I'm so glad you mentioned that in the past, it's been thought that it is sort of an inferior way for providers and patients to meet. And yet I think you're right. You use the word intimate, that it may actually be more intimate than an in-person, which again, may, may surprise some people. I will say that it does not surprise me given what I've heard from physicians over the past couple of years during this pandemic. But I'm just wondering, is there sort of a story or a case or another example that you have, assuming you believe that it actually can improve the sort of personalization and customization of care? Yeah, I think, you know, we, we <laughs> I think we're both, you know, old enough to remember the era maybe 10 or 20 years ago, where, where everybody was talking about consumer-driven health plans, consumer-driven healthcare, all of that kind of stuff. It was all about personalization and, and so on. I think that, you know, while these are still very important, there, there are bigger elements that have nothing to do with technology that are driving kind of the adoption of telehealth. The fact that I am more comfortable in my own home than I am when I'm sitting in an office on that paper that clinicians put on their beds, you know, in exam rooms, mm -hmm. the fact that I'm not rushed, the fact that I have a choice in terms of who am I going to see, the fact that the technologies of telehealth today allow me to not have to spend an hour waiting in a waiting room, getting exposed to everybody else's, you know, germs and so on. Um, and I think also the, the, the fact that it's not one technology, you know, the video part of telehealth is just one dimension of the open channel to communicate with your clinicians. There's messaging, there's reminders, there is, you know, the online appointment scheduling, there is the, you know, secure messaging that follows, you know, that follows a visit. There is the, you know, all of those different elements of getting support if your prescription doesn't come in. There's a whole set of technologies that are kind of coming together in order to create a much more consumer-oriented experience far beyond just the video conferencing with a clinician. And, you know, and I, I, I made this analogy earlier on, and I think that it is, you know, I actually think that it goes much, much deeper than just one sentence. If you think about how your preferences in terms of retail have changed with the arrival of online you know, online retail. I know that, you know, both me and my wife, we, mm -hmm. we, we know we can go down to a pharmacy, you know, literally under our building to buy toothpaste and yet we buy it on Amazon. Sorry if I'm right. plugging no, a certain no. vendor or whatever it yep. is, but yep. it's just easier. And, and things that have made it easier, not, not only the one click setting or whatever it is, but a whole other world of elements like you know in retail the fact that your credit card is is protected the fact that there is no question returns that you know there's a fedex pickup that they allow you to print a fedex you know barcode and, and get it sent back i mean these are things that have nothing to do with actually getting the toothpaste but they are an evolution 
of the understanding of how the experience of the end consumer can be dramatically better. I think that we are really just at the beginning of this in the area of telehealth, but, but it, it's really all about experience, not just about seeing the right doctor uh, online. Yeah, no, I think as you're talking, I'm thinking about Winston Churchill's quote about we're, we're at the end of the beginning. And so it's just yeah. really starting to take off. I think, I think that makes so much sense. And you're absolutely right. And every other aspect of our life, you know, it's, it's retail, it's banking, it's entertainment, it's travel, even exercise, communication, everything is changed. Our expectations are changed, what's normal. And yet I think healthcare is now entering into the zone or the era that every other industry has been in for the last 10 years. Yeah, there's a huge advantage. I mean, from, from a, you know, for, for Amwell and for other operators in telehealth, there's a huge advantage of the fact that healthcare is such a glacial industry because it's just now beginning to go through what other industries have gone through 15 or 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I strongly believe that, you know, just like people historically myopically thought of Amazon as a bookstore <laughs> and said, you know, how could they possibly grow? How many books could you possibly send only only to find out that Jeff Bezos' ingenuity was they were he was using books to test the waters of online retail and completely changed our expectation of how we buy things. The same level of transformation is right upon us in healthcare. Yeah, so well said. And one thing I want to add to what you're saying before is what I've heard from physicians is that um, convenience for sure, safety for sure, even access, as you were saying, capacity. I know you, in our correspondence, you talked about how, how strained the industry is around capacity and care isn't equally available or distributed. And so this is a, a way to do that as well. I would add to it, it could be actually that it's even more personal and, and more contextual. I remember a conversation I had with a cardiothoracic surgeon who said that he started during the pandemic seeing his patients preoperatively and postoperatively virtually. And they're in the homes, in their living rooms, in their kitchens. And he was shocked at how much more he felt like he knew them as a person by seeing their surroundings. And he could even ask them, where are your medications? Can you go get me your medications? Which closets do you keep it in? Yeah. Who else is around you in your home? So when you get discharged, he, he really was convinced that even from a, a doctor-patient relationship perspective, that it was actually a higher quality visit to actually see them in their homes. And have you heard that from other physicians? One, 100%, and I think that you're, you're touching on a point that at least in my mind is going to be much more of an earthquake down the line than, than what it initially seems. What you described is the ability of that clinician that you talk to, to begin to add other dimensions of communication with a patient that previously didn't exist. So you talked about the fact, you know, show me your medication, where do you keep them, understanding the reality of that patient, you know, looking at their, their, you know, their, their home reality and so on. Mm -hmm. There are so many more dimensions for, you know, in the reality of patients that we can begin to understand and respond to. And that would mean not only that we can see stuff through the video camera, it means that we can develop a completely different level of companionship with those patients as they live with the reality of their healthcare. It may, it is likely not going to be utilized the physician's time. Um, it may be that it will be their nursing staff. It may be that it will be, you know, a whole other uh, discipline 
that is dealing with patient care in the home through technology that's going to be interacting with the patients on a, on a much more regular basis because it's more economical than, you know, than uh, 10 minutes of a clinic of a physician, uh, as well as a whole world of technologies that are going to be sharing that companionship that are going to be next to patients in their home, maybe interacting with them on a much more frequent and regular level because it doesn't break the bank mm-hmm. and have the smarts to escalate as necessary through telehealth and eventually in person um, to higher and higher levels of care. So the model of care that we are all familiar with prior to the arrival of these technologies, we're essentially, you know, we're interacting with healthcare through the construct of a visit, Mm -hmm. which is very short, hard to get and expensive. That whole notion is going to be thrown out the window because there are so many other ways for us to interact with the patients inside their reality. Um, and I would say that not only changes the uh, expectation of a patient or the experience of the patient, I think it will dramatically move the needle on cost because we can much more appropriately use healthcare resources where they're needed rather than to, okay, let's have another visit you know, in two months and hope that everything is going to be okay by then which is still the language that many of us are thinking about when we see patients. Yeah, no, it's it's a little mind-blowing and it's so realistic and you could see it happening. I think it's, it's really interesting because you've taken the conversation to a different place. Most people talk about or think about virtual and telehealth and they're sort of seeing it in, you have this technology, but they're seeing the technology in a legacy paradigm of the episodic geographically time limited visit right that that visit it's almost sort of like 21st century technology in a 19th century mindset it's almost right it's like you had to travel in your horse and buggy to the doctor's house and you sat there and you waited for hours or days so you could see the doctor it's that same sort of mindset that is decades if not centuries old and yet we have the technology to completely change that and to me that's what you're you're talking about we're not going to have these episodic visits in this eight by 10 sterile room could see that being supplanted by this sort of connected, almost streaming healthcare that you're talking about, right? Yeah, I think, I think that's exactly right. I think the, you know, to me, if I kind of take, you know, five steps back and try to look at it in perspective, I would say that the, the balance of care of any one patient in the future is going to be that kind of balancing act between physical services and physical care, which will continue to live inside healthcare buildings, whether they're hospitals or outpatient clinics or community physician offices, but they're going to be a physical cluster of services you're going to get. Mm-hmm. There's going to be a digital cluster of services, which will be all of your digitally based interactions between you and clinicians, which will be telehealth, which will be, you know, asynchronous communication, you know, secure messaging, assessments, all of that kind of fun stuff. That's the second cluster. And the third cluster will be a whole new generation of automated interactions that, you know, are not going to try to pretend to be physicians, you know, in that sense, but are going to literally be that companion, that kind of vigilant presence next to that patient, asking them when they wake up in the morning, did you sleep well? You know, do you have any pain? Um, You know, did you take your medication? That kind of stuff. Um, And... It will be the 
the fluidity of the movement of patients between these different, very different, very important domains, you know, digital, automated, and physical, that is going to be inevitable reality for all of us. That's how we will experience healthcare going forward. And I don't think this is Amwell. I don't think this is anybody else. I think this is inevitable. This mm -hmm. is just the reality that we're, we're, we're going to walk into in a matter of just a few years. I love that. I, I've not heard anyone talk about those three clusters, but that makes so much sense. And the future is kind of here now. It's it's getting there, to your point. Yeah. I, I, I love, this is fantastic. I'd love to jump in and ask you some questions about where you are now with Amwell. And again, it's grown. And although it has a legacy of many, many years, it's also changed and transformed quite a bit. And you're doing some really neat stuff. And so, so I do have some double-click questions, and, and feel free to take it where, wherever you want if I'm missing something here. In, in our email correspondence, you wrote about a couple of things, one of which was care automation, which you said this is going to be what moves the needle in healthcare even further than the electronic medical record revolution. Tell us what you mean by care automation, and where does it fit in with other care modalities? And I'm very, very curious as how you see it as sort of this next revolution. Yeah, I think the, you know, maybe the best way to, to, you know, kind of peel the onion here is if we think about the healthcare experience of any one patient, for the most part, it takes place when we see them. And I mean, clinicians, mm -hmm. nurses, physicians, you know, whatever it is, whether it's a, you know, it's an ER visit or whether it's an outpatient visit or a follow-up visit or whatever it is, but we live in a world where healthcare arrives to us as patients through visits. We also have to acknowledge that the healthcare reality of patients is actually between visits. Mm -hmm. And if you kind of take a step further, you would say that the, the space between visits is actually much, much larger than the time that the patient actually spends in front of the ambassadors of healthcare. And yet that time is not only much, much larger by way of quantity, it's also where the actual healthcare experience of patient actually is happening. This is where pain exists. This is where patients are supposed to take their medications and sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. That's where they have side effects. That's where they are or not compliant with whatever they need to do to get better. That's where they eat well or not. That's where they deteriorate. That's where a lot of bad things happen. That's where wounds get infected. That's where depression mm -hmm. sets in if you're a cancer patient and that makes you, you know, significantly less able to fight the challenges that you need to fight. The reality of healthcare happens to most of us where healthcare actually isn't. Mm -hmm. Healthcare isn't there. So, and, and the reason why healthcare isn't there is not because we as healthcare people are bad people, it's because it would literally break the bank. There's just no way for us to be next to patients at the expense of time that they need us. And it doesn't really matter. And I, I by the way, and I include telehealth in it. You know, telehealth is a much more modern way for the patient to have a visit with a clinician, but it still takes the clinician 15 minutes or so to talk to the patient. So we haven't really changed the mechanics there. So when we talk about care automation, we're talking about the opportunity to begin to put to work technologies that are relatively recent to allow us to essentially set up shop next to those patients during that space between visits and try to do two things. A, 
represents what we know about you know, how to monitor patients or how to understand what they're going through and as necessary act on that information and we can, you know, we can expand that. And the other piece of the puzzle is to give patients the reassurance that healthcare is always next to them because they're all alone. I mean, that, that is the truth. They don't know whether this is okay. Should my fever come down? Should the wound be okay? Should my pain in walking be there or not be there? So if we are able to extend the healthcare knowledge and, and everything that goes with it into the patient reality and make it always on, that's critical. We need to be always on next to that patient. We have, at least in my mind, we have the opportunity to make a revolution in the way people experience healthcare and a revolution in the efficacy of how we treat them. Now, that's not one technology. I want to be very, very clear. This isn't a something that we're cooking in Amwell Labs or whatever it is. It is it's a combination of essentially CPU-based or computer-based technologies that include things like artificial intelligence and machine learning and natural language processing and a variety of others, you know, that, that CRM functionality and personalization engines and content management systems and so on. But when you put them together, and you put them together the right way, if I'm a if I'm a cancer patient mm -hmm. and I'm discharged from the hospital and I'm going home, and I'm going to live with the reality of chemotherapy for the next you know two weeks until I see the clinician again, and I can turn on a companionship program for that patient that will talk to them in the morning, at noon, in the evening, interact with them, maybe maybe simple things, you know, like you learn that the patient likes to go to bed at nine o'clock every evening. So you automatically place a call to them at 845 and ask them, hey, have you remembered to take your medications? And if they say yes, you tell them a joke so that they can go to bed happy. Hmm. It's not rocket science. It's hmm. not nothing that requires, you know, major, you know, deep IBM, you know, infrastructure right. to do. It's, it's the understanding that by harnessing those technologies and putting them together smartly, we can surround patients completely differently. And to me, that is an area that we still don't exist in mm -hmm. and that we're just walking into. And I would just last thing that I would say yeah. is it's not just about the technology. I think that the, 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 if there's a silver lining to COVID, and I'm not suggesting a pandemic is a good thing, mm. is that we have accepted as people that some of our healthcare interactions are going to happen over technology. The moment that that happened, it opens up the door not only to telehealth, it opens up the door to that technologically, technological presence of healthcare around us. And the, the fact that we cross that line now allows this new world of healthcare companionship to surface. And we're literally, this is this has just started happening this year. This revolution is not visible yet, but it is definitely rumbling under the surface and will make a huge change. I mentioned the EHR resolution of 20, uh, revolution of 20 years ago. I think this will be as big, if not larger. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I could see it as being much, much more impactful in terms of actual health outcomes. It's interesting, as I'm listening to you talk, we, we talk a lot about the patient journey and it's really 
sort of the patient journey through our healthcare system, right? And what this revolution is doing is really flipping it to the actual patient's journey, which is their life, right? And it's about us following them and helping them and supporting them as opposed to helping them journey through our system. So it's, it's really sort of a reframe of this notion of a journey. What do you think about that? <laughs> you know, I know that this is not going to be a popular, popular statement, but we are a service industry. We serve the patients. We typically, and when you, if you walk the corridors of a hospital or, or, you know, or, or even a group practice, it is very, very easy to completely not see it this way. We queue in waiting rooms. We are looking for appointments. We're begging to be seen. We're begging to get a question answered and whatever it is. This is all going the wrong way where patients are beseeching healthcare to help them. We are a service industry. We have to cue to them or mm. cue into their lives, not the other way around. I can't imagine anyone wanting to argue with that. Another question, the Converge platform. Could you tell us yes. about that and how that's, in your own words, changing the digital health game? Uh, well, so Converge, you know, so we've been doing, you know, telehealth for 15 years and you know, a couple of, you know, acquisitions along the way and everything else. But for the most part, the way that we used to do telehealth um, was setting up a telehealth capability for an organization and turning it on. And then they did whatever they did with it to, you know, to see new patients or follow up on their own patients or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. I think the part that has changed is that we really are beginning to look at telehealth and those technologies we just talked about more of in a way of a logistical infrastructure rather than just a video conferencing capability. And we kind of touched this point, you know, on this point in, in a couple of the earlier conversation. If you think about telehealth not as a way to see a doctor through video, but rather as an infrastructure for the digital distribution of healthcare, it sounds much more like a logistical infrastructure than it is a, a way to carry out a visit. Mm -hmm. And I hate to come back, not hate, I really like coming back mm -hmm. to the, you know, for, to analogies from other, mm -hmm. you know, from other industries, but, mm -hmm. you know, what Amazon has done, you know, is, is not to, to have a, a store like a website where you can, you know, buy this thing or the other thing. It is the logistical ingenuity of tying into inventory where it lives. Sometimes it lives in an Amazon warehouse, but often enough, it lives somewhere else. It lives where the manufacturer is or, you know, people's, you know, whatever they're, they're manufacturing in their own environment. It is the logistical infrastructure of getting supply to meet demand. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of different elements there. We talked a little bit about payment and discoverability and return policy and, you know, um, consumer ratings of different products and a variety of other things. But at the end of the day, it is a supply demand management system. Telehealth is now becoming, is coming to the point of really living up to its role as a supply demand management system. Some of the biggest changes around it is that, first of all, it is federated. We no longer, you know, set up a system for an Intermountain or an Anthem or, you know, and let them be. Um, we have to start thinking about how are medical services going to flow across the different 
parts of the industry of healthcare. And that means that you now have to have, you know, the whole the whole enchilada, so to speak, mm -hmm. running in a in a federated way and converge from the ground up, which converges the, the new generation of our platform that's now rolling out into the market. It is designed to be a single giant switchboard for healthcare services. There's a lot of implications to what I just said in terms of how it runs. You can imagine all of the complexities of healthcare in terms of so licensure and credentialing and billing and eligibility and network definitions and different populations with different rules like Medicaid population versus federal employees versus military versus, you know, and so on and so forth. That switchboard has to be has to have the smarts to broker who can get in front of whom under what circumstances and do it in real time, understand the needs that they have, understand the financial implication of brokering those services. But hopefully, and I can go on and on without breathing here, <laughs> but hopefully this gives you a little bit of a sense of how much of a different infrastructure Converge is. It really is designed. It's, it's brand new technology. Mm -hmm. It's designed to serve healthcare in a world where a lot of what it does will be channeled over technology um, across a very, very large population of both providers and consumers of those services. Is it a marketplace? What kinds of analogies would you use to help us understand it more? You know, first of all, I want to be, I want to be a little bit more humble. I'm Amwell, you know, is nowhere near, you know, size and capability to make healthcare into a marketplace. Mm -hmm. But what we can do is we can support or we can be ready with technologies that allow the movers and shakers of this industry, who are the large health systems, the large pairs, you know, the large, you know, the government, you know, yeah. programs and so on to begin to utilize these kinds of technologies to reinvent themselves. Now, mm -hmm. they are the ones that know how to reinvent their business, not we do, mm -hmm. but we can at least be in a position to help them take advantage and focus on their business rather than on making the technology work as they do so. I think it is you know, the inevitability of um, clinician, for example, load balancing, maybe a good example of it mm -hmm. is behavioral health, right? I mean, we're, we're, especially in the United States, we're in a complete meltdown in terms of availability of behavioral health. The beauty of technology is that, you know, if you, if you adapt the regulation sufficiently, it, it, it doesn't matter where you live, you can actually have services that are, you know, that have become available on one side of the country be available to people on the other side of the country, or maybe north and south, or maybe areas that have been very sparse in terms of availability of healthcare services. All of these are mm -hmm. elements of switchboarding, of load balancing. Um, and I think, you know, people are suffering so much with healthcare right now, and it is costing so much that we need to introduce those notions that have helped other industries do much, much better. And who's the customer for the platform? Is it health systems? Is it payers? Who pays for it? And, and how would these stakeholders access it? So, you know, over, over that, you know, 15 years of operation of Amwell, I think one of the things that was a little bit different about us, you know, mm -hmm. all along, was that we really had kind of an, an, an equal footing, you know, one, one half of our business was delivering or running the telehealth infrastructure for large payers, 
like you know all, all the usual ones um and and i think most of them other than one are are running on and well you all know it's and it's all white labeled and all that kind of stuff but so one leg of our business is is on the pair side of things and the other leg of our business which is an equal size is on the delivery side where we run telehealth for large health systems and large group practices and so on so we always had that duality in Amwell. There already are customers, only that they were never interconnected. So when Converge rolls out into the market, we're actually not selling something different. We're transitioning all of our customers, which we owe them as a good partner, into this new technology that allows them to essentially reinvent themselves and resell their products, their services online, um, so we don't sell differently. Our clients continue to be health plan A, B, and C, and health system A, B, and C, and government agency A, B, and C. It's just that when they join the Amwell family, they can go much, much further than ever before. What would be some of the benefits? And I'm, I'm wondering about cost savings, efficiency, capacity, access. How would you talk about the benefits to the various stakeholders, including patients? So, you know, we, we, we talked already a little bit about kind of opening up this notion of surrounding patients completely differently, you know, with all of these automated capabilities that are part of Converge. Obviously, if you are, if you are any entity that is taking risk for those patients, whether you are, obviously, if you're a payer or a government agency or a large self-insured employer, or frankly, if you're a hospital, and, you know, you're discharging a patient and you're under the readmission risk for a period of time, that notion that you can actually hover around patients and, and be very, very sensitive to what they're doing and give them the right feedback and escalate as necessary is a game changer in terms of, you know, efficient and effective management of patients. But that's, you know, we, we talked a little bit about that. That's one dimension. Another dimension, you know, maybe just to give you a very practical example, um, if you're a health system, and you are whatever you're running, Epic, Cerner in the background, your EHR, and so on. Um, and let's say that you are you're a fairly large health system. You have multiple facilities. You have multiple clusters of, you know, presence in different in different communities. You can, with Converge, do the equivalent of pooling together your resources, such that any clinician who is part of your ecosystem can now say, you know, if you have 20 minutes of a cancellation in front of you or you're working from home, it doesn't really matter. You can hit a button that says, give me the next patient that I'm eligible to see. Hmm. In the system, which is sprawling in terms of, uh, of you know, where patients can come in, mm-hmm. can identify the opportunity that a clinician of your skills and licensure and credentialing is available for the next 15 minutes and find a patient in the ecosystem who's either online or is queuing or is asking to be Mm -hmm. seen that way, route that patient to you, register that patient in your local EHR so that they they have a valid record and MRN and everything else, and literally surface that patient in front of that clinician. So you have a completely different understanding of the availability of the supply, and I'm, it's a technical term, but but really supply of mm-hmm. you know of services, mm-hmm. and 
that allows you to create you know not only efficiency but much much higher level much more granular level of availability of goods to the people that we serve now everybody wins right mm -hmm. i mean the beauty of this is that you know the the health system that's running it is getting more you know billable cycles so mm -hmm. they're generating value out of it patients find better availability of clinicians and the way that you structure the services and coverage inside the health system can be much more efficient because you don't have to staff a neurologist in every one of your buildings. Right. You can actually have that neurologist cover through technology all of these different endpoints, which of course allows you to staff much more intelligently. And it allows you to buy peripheral facilities without having to spend a lot of money putting additional staff into them in order for them to cover all the services that you need. It goes beyond that. It goes on and on. I mean, you can have, you know, Sweet. healthcare, healthcare facilities or healthcare systems that have, you know, tertiary medical centers that have very, very sought after specialties like pediatric cardiology or whatever it is that you will be very, very hard pressed to find in, you know, in more, you know, lesser, you know, facilities or rural facilities, they can project their services, they can resell their services into those organizations that don't want to staff a pediatric cardiologist because they have very rare number of cases there. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I can go on and on and give yeah, you no, examples, it's... but the, there is a very, very strong economical case for that kind of infrastructure. Yeah, it's it's brilliant. Right, I'd love to spend more time talking about this with you. It's it's just fantastic. As you're talking, I'm thinking this really kind of redefines what an integrated delivery network actually could be. That's right. Right. It's, it's not us, Zevan. This is a lot of good people. This is not me. This is not, you know, just Amwell. I think that we are, mm -hmm. we're just going through a revolution. Yep. Evolution, whichever, whichever yeah, one no, you it's, choose. No, it's um, a revolution. It's, I love this because I think I've actually talked about this issue. One of the challenges I think with healthcare is you have these, and you described it, you have these physicians who are incredibly smart, brilliant, experienced, knowledgeable, skillful, passionate professionals, and they're locked up literally inside of an exam room. The only way you can get to them is you have to get to the city they're in, to the organization they're in, to the network they're in, to the building they're in, to the payment system they're in, to the EMR they're in, and literally into the room they're in. Right. And this in some ways really liberates the value of providers. And in some ways, it has the opportunity, the possibility of actually really democratizing care. And it can be used in such tremendous ways. We talk about disparities and whether it's rural health or health in less privileged, socioeconomically depressed areas of cities and counties. This has so much possibility to really make healthcare more accessible. I'll just throw one more thing, which again, yeah. is not going to make me popular, but um, it's also, it also brings to light the notion of ego. Mm. And what I mean by that is, if you think about, you know, we, we talked about the revolution by way of consumers' ability or patients' ability to get in front of clinicians, wherever they are, and so on. It also opens the door for us to rethink how, for example, knowledge, uh, especially specialty knowledge, can permeate into parts of the country where it doesn't exist. And what I mean by that is, you know, it's very easy, for example, I live in Boston. I can, if I, God forbid, have a certain kind of cancer, I can go to Dana-Farber or Mass General or whichever one it is and, and get the very best of treatment of that specific kind of cancer that I have. 
Um, it, it doesn't happen if you live in North Dakota or West Texas or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Now, the the opportunity here is to say, well, maybe we can make the know-how of how to treat that cancer patient not available to the patient over technology, but rather to their PCPs. So now if Dana-Farber services can be made available to other clinicians to help them care for their patients, which is why the ego thing comes in. You you know, Mm -hmm. there's a the joke that says that men don't ask for directions, you know, when you drive a car, whatever it is, if clinicians would be willing to say, listen, I'm, I'm a great PCP. I'm a great family physician. My patient has a complex case of cancer. I need to coordinate how I care for that patient with that specialist in Dana Farber that knows the very best protocols, you know, to care for that. If we created that kind of culture, the knowledge of how to care to patients can travel. And the funny thing about it is that for that, you don't even have to change state licensure because clinician to clinician consultations are allowed. The Mm. care for that patient will still be delivered by their local PCP. It's just that that PCP will represent the knowledge of the best tertiary medical centers to care for that patient. Yeah. I'm going to ask if we could have another opportunity to speak together because I have so many more questions I, I love to ask you. We only have, I think, three minutes, and I promised I would end on time for you. There's a lot of sort of challenges, if you will, headwinds for all of us who have been trying to increase the telehealth and remote patient monitoring. One is you mentioned this, the required licensure across state lines, which seems to me almost ridiculous. It is actually ridiculous. The fact that literally a patient could be five miles away, but if they're in a different state, the doctor can't provide care That's virtually, right. right? I mean, I can't understand that. The other issue is payment for virtual and, and payment for remote patient monitoring and the automated care you're talking about. Another one people talk about, and in fact, I just saw an article today, is this all going to increase or decrease the total cost of care? And, and a lot of folks are not convinced it's, it's going to decrease. So you've got a lot of critics, a lot of folks sort of taking these, and they're challenges. Just we, like everyone else, we're trying to increase our, our telehealth and virtual. It makes sense for so many reasons, as you've outlined, and it is the future, and there's no question about it. But there are these challenges. How do you, and I know I just shared a lot, but how do you think about that bundle of challenges? You know, I'll, I'll, I'll end on a positive note. I think that they're there. I mean, the state licensure is still there and healthcare never loses an opportunity to make things more complicated and so on. But, but the truth is that if you kind of look at the last couple of years in the, in the, in the spectrum of, or the, the vantage point of the glacial way the industry usually carries itself, I actually think that we have a lot of, we have an opportunity for optimism here. Mm-hmm. Things are changing very fast, all considering. And I think they're changing that fast, not only because of COVID, but I think for the first time, popular demand is driving the change. As you said, things no longer make sense to patients, to mm-hmm. the consumers. And they have the votes and they have the power, the popular power to say, I'm going to go left if you don't, you know, instead of right, if you don't give me those services. If you are a PCP and you're not willing to use, you know, technology to interact with me, I will choose another PCP. And these are the kind of, these are the kind of things that healthcare never heard before. And I think because of that, and because technology is sweeping, it is unstoppable in so many ways, I actually think that we're going to be in a very good place in about five or 10 years, much faster 
than any other revolution that healthcare went through, including the EHR revolution. This one is for the people. Mm. And that is why healthcare is going to change faster than we think. I love that. I love that. This is for the people. Roy, it, it has been such a pleasure and a privilege speaking with you. I Great can't thank you enough. Yeah, seriously. It's so good to talk to you again and, and hear you. I'd just like to take a moment, as I do every episode, I'd like to conclude by turning to the audience and thanking all of you out there who are doing the hard work each and every day of taking care of patients or those of you who are supporting those who are taking care of patients, especially in these times, really, truly appreciate you for what you do and recognize how critically important your work is to individuals and families, our communities and, and society here. And I think it's so refreshing to hear Dr. Roy Schoenberg talk the optimism, the hope, and I think the realism of what you're saying, it is about the people. So Roy, thank you again. Zev, it is such a pleasure to be here with you and uh, I look forward to next time. Folks, this is Zev Neuwirth on Creating a New Healthcare. My friends, until next time, be safe and be well.